This is Fans on the Run, a podcast made by, for, and about Beatles fans. And now, here's your host, Ethan Alexanian. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the show. I'm Ethan Alexanian, that is my name, and this is my podcast, as you have heard. Uh, we, we got a good show for you to do. I say that every week that we have a good show, but this time I mean it. Of course, I say that also every other week. So now you don't know if I'm genuine or not, but I am because we have a great guest for you today. Uh, she runs the awesome website, uh, Meet the Beatles for Real. She's an author who's written a book called Happiness is Seeing the Beatles, Beatlemania in St. Louis. Um, yeah, Sarah Schmidt, welcome to the show. Well, hi, it's great to be here. I feel really bad because I meant to invite you on much sooner, but my I think my lizard brain just kind of collapsed in on itself oh you've had a lot of really good guests on so and yeah. now i have the best guest of all of course of course you know so how, how have you been doing during this whole rona lockdown oh well it's given me a lot of opportunity to work on my next book about the beatles north american fan club so that's i guess one plus so when you say north american you also mean like america and canada United States and Canada. Yes. I really couldn't find about Mexico, but I looked. But eat, eat that, Mexico. Canada finally has another Beatles book coming. Well, there's, yeah. Yeah, there's some some stuff about Canada, definitely. Yeah. The only other book I can think of is the Piers Hemmingson book. Right, yeah. And I've talked to him. Mm-hmm. He gave me some information, so. All right, let's, let's jump into this, because, like, I, I have a feeling this is going to be a great conversation. I hope so. Don't worry, it is. Okay. I say that with the confidence of someone who knows what they're doing. So that's false. Anyways. I'm always willing to talk about the Beatles with anybody anytime. There oh. are there are worse things to talk about. Well, nobody ever wants to talk Beatles with me, so But no, the Beatles I'm, I'm, are awesome. They're the best. Obviously, they're the best, but They are the best. I just have to find my like-minded people. You found one. Yeah. I know you're I was so glad to meet you at Beetlefest, Fest for Beetle fans in Chicago last year. You're you're the last person from that circle of people I met at the Chicago Fest that I've had on, and I, if I'm being honest, I actually thought I had invited you on already, but then I checked and then I realized I had not. Well, then you just wanted to save me for last. Exactly, exactly. You're you're making a positive out of this. I am. Speaking of the Beatles, when did you first discover the Beatles? Well, um, you know, I'm a second generation fan. I'm in my early 40s. So I had always heard Beatles music. You know, I don't think you can be alive and not have heard Beatles music, even if you didn't realize who was singing it. It's kind of a prerequisite for being a member of the human race at this point. Exactly. I mean, if you weren't born... At the time of the Beatles, you know, if you weren't a teenager in the 60s, the Beatles have always been just part of life. Mm-hmm. Commercials and just playing in an elevator or in a store or something. You've always heard the Beatles. Yeah. But when I was, say, let's say 12, I was around 12, seventh grade, that'd be about 12. I really, really loved, and I still really, really love, the New Kids on the Block, the boy band. Mm-hmm. And I was over at my friend's house for a sleepover, and we were screaming at the TV and acting silly when the New Kids on the Block videos were on. And her mom started laughing and said how we reminded her of when she was young and a Beatles fan. And I was like, oh, really? What was that all about? And I stayed up, like, all night. My friend went to bed, and I looked through her Beatles scrapbooks, and she was just telling me about seeing the Beatles concert in St. Louis, and all this really fun stuff and that kind of piqued my interest then from there the tv show um wonder years was like new and their theme song was is with a little help from my friends with by joe cocker yeah and i said to my mom i was like oh this song's really good i like it and she goes well if you like that you'd you'd like the original better it's like the original what's the original it's by the beatles so it's like hmm, second time i've heard about this beatles thing in a good way then my music teacher was showing the movie help because i guess he didn't want to really teach at the end of the school year remember that like when they they just show random movies oh yeah like this is hilarious i love this 
what is this again? Oh, it's the Beatles. So it was like three things in a row. Boom, 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 Beatles. I couldn't get away from them, so I went to um, probably Musicland at the mall and bought Sgt. Pepper on cassette. That kind of leads into what I was going to ask next. I was going to ask, what was your first Beatles album? Well, that was it. It was Sgt. Pepper because my mom had made that comment about... um, with a little help from my friends. So I wanted to hear what the original was like. <laughs> and then my mom had the, I think she had it on vinyl, but transferred it over to cassette of the red album. <laughs> so I'd listen to that second. It always comes back to those two, the red and the blue. It does. They were, well, that, that before Beatles won, that was the only greatest hits that we had. I mean, except that, for all well, those weird capital albums that came out, like, rock and roll music 20 greatest hits right oh i had 20 greatest hits in high school for my cassette player which during the song all you need is love it it literally spit out of the cassette player and flew to the back seat it was like the strangest thing that ever happened what (laughs) (laughs) that's my memory i listened to that cassette so much because it was just always playing on my cassette player in my first car when i was a senior in high school that I guess it broke and in the middle of the song All You Need Is Love it like literally flew out into the back seat it's the funniest thing wow and that's my connection that I make the memory I make with the 20 greatest hits guess God was more of a Rolling Stones guy or something I don't I just think I listened to that cassette way too much and it wore out I'm just trying to figure out the physics of that that I don't understand it was the weirdest like no idea and it, like, spit out of your Walkman. No, out of the cassette player that was in the car. Oh. I'm, yeah. My mind just kind of auto-corrected myself there. Yeah. yeah. I know. You had to remember it's early 90s and yeah, late 80s when I became a Beatles fan. Mm-hmm. Which was a weird time to become a Beatles fan because nobody liked the Beatles then. I was totally ridiculed and made fun of in high school and junior high school, middle school, for being a Beatles fan. They were, it was not cool. Why do you think that is? Because the Beatles were old. I would hear it all the time. Aren't they all dead? They're old. How do you listen to old people music? Oh, you're you're giving me flashbacks to my own experience. Think, it was really you funny, think the late but, 80s were bad try it in the uh early 2010s oh i bet that wasn't i'm sure it was the same ridiculous oh yeah then the beatles anthology came out in 95 and suddenly i was a little miss cool because the beatles were anthology made them popular again for like a little bit of time mm-hmm. so people that never gave me the time of day would run up to me and ask me about the beatles it was i'm like Weren't you the same person that was, like, making fun of me about this, I don't know, six months ago? What? You weren't listening to Vanilla Ice? Wow. Well, you I, suck. I was listening to Vanilla Ice, I will admit that. But I was listening to the oh. Beatles, too. Sarah, I was giving you the benefit of the doubt. I have no shame in my 80s music, 90s, or late 80s, early 90s. I like some weird stuff. Fair enough. <laughs> so talk more about because this actually kind of interests me because I, I like hearing about people being Beatles fans at weird points in history <laughs> okay what was it like being like a Beatles fan in the late 80s early 90s like were there any aside from the anthology any kind of uh, I don't know how to say like any specific memories of Beatles stuff in kind of pop culture I want to say you know, they were like, like, like I said, memories wondering. of like the stuff like the BBC album and, you know, oh, the BBC album. That was like one of the most exciting moments of my life. When I bought the BBC album, I went to this is an interesting story. I went to this midnight sale <laughs> at this little record shop where I went to college and they were selling it at the same time as they were selling a Pearl Jam album. That's why they had a midnight sale going on, because Pearl Jam had some new album out. Was that the one with but, the avocado on the front cover or something? You know, I I liked Pearl Jam, but I wasn't that big of a fan that I've ever bought the album, so... I mean, I'm not a fan of grunge, period. Uh, I don't know. I liked Nirvana a lot, but not... But Pearl Jam was... I, I bought... I have ten. I liked that album. But 
It might have had an avocado on the front. It might not have. I don't know. Because I didn't buy it. So I'm standing out there in a, a snow, like, sleet storm comes. So I'm standing out there and sleet is and piling on me and I'm outside with all these Pearl Jam fans. And finally they let us in. And I was so proud that I said, I'm not here for Pearl Jam. I'm here for the Beatles. And they all, all the people kind of looked at me and then they handed me my love at the BBC. And I wrote a check for it. You wrote a check. I wrote a check. At a record like, store. At the record store, yep. It was called Positively Fourth Street Records. And this was in St. Louis? No, this was in Charleston, Illinois, where I went to college. Fair enough. Little, middle, you never heard of it. It's in the middle of a cornfield. But they had this great record store. They would sell Beatles bootlegs there, too. I mean, don't feel too bad. I didn't really know what Minnesota was until I had someone explain it to me. So I'm not really good on geography or where things are. That's all right. Yeah. Nobody would ever hear of this town, but I was so proud that I was like, I'm here for the Beatles. And everyone kind of looked like, okay, lady, whatever. So then I went back to my dorm. And of course, this is after, this is probably like one o'clock in the morning. Everyone was asleep, so I couldn't really listen to it. So I just sat there in the lobby, right, reading all the little notes until it like was actually morning and I could listen to it. Okay, that that actually kind of reminds me of like times where I've bought Beatles records, and even though it wasn't waiting all night, it felt like waiting all night, just being in the car, having to drive home, like sometimes for like an hour, and I'm just sitting there reading like the notes, like the liner notes. If it's a, a record, sometimes the gate folds, and yeah, yeah, I know yeah. that feeling. But that that was a great memory though, because this was the first time in my lifetime that I was buying a new Beatles album. What, you saying 20 Greatest Hits wasn't new? It wasn't new, no. It was had all old stuff. This had new stuff that I had never heard before on it. Brand new. Yeah, I mean, as far as I was concerned, that was a brand new album. No, it had never been released before. <laughs> and I ordered the Live at the BBC t-shirt because I had a little pamphlet inside where, like, order now. I went all out. I always find that funny when I sometimes like open up old CDs and they come with order forms and and the concept seems kind of foreign to me since I'm one of those uh, Gen Zs I mean Gen Z Uh, Well now I think about it now it it was kind of weird but I was like yeah I'm going to order me a Beatles t-shirt and I was on the internet at that time because I'm ahead of my time I was on a Beatles chat room since 1994. Since 1994? 1994, I was on the IRC, the Internet Relay Chat, Beatles chat room. What a trailblazer. I know. And now you have one of the best Beatles websites on the internet. Well, that's what some people think. I am one of those people. Okay. Well, thank you. I think there's a lot better websites, but I like my website. It's fun. You sound like me trying to advertise my podcast. Last I don't week, even try to advertise anymore. People just, I don't know. Well, there's been times where I just kind of Google things and like I'm looking at the images and I click the URL and it's like, meet the Beatles for real. And I'm like, oh, it's Sarah's site. Oh, that makes me happy. Yeah. That does. I guess I don't always realize that so many people are there looking at it it's just it feels like i'm just by myself i'm gonna hit you with a bit of a deep question okay what did the beatles mean to you that is a deep question the beatles they're like my life they mean my life like they're so ingrained in everything i do that they're like part of my personality like part of who i am Mm -hmm. if that makes sense no it makes sense i mean i have been referred to before as that beatles guy oh yeah i've been referred to as that beatles girl yeah like they don't even know my i'm just that beatles girl yeah you wear it like a badge of honor right and i'm that doesn't offend me i'm like yeah that's who i am i'm that beatles girl yeah you're damn right i'm that beatles guy best band of all time 
I mean, there's worse things people could associate with me. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, like, new kids on the block. <laughs> I love new kids on the block. Don't even go there. Public apology to new kids on the block. I am sorry. Especially- I know you're listening to the show, New Kids on the Block. And if Joey is listening, I still am in love with him. Hear that, Joey? You heard it here first. Do you have any favorite memories of being a Beatles fan or any favorite memories that involve the Beatles? Well, I have so many good memories. Um, the first time I went to Beatlefest in Chicago was in 1994. and That year keeps coming up. Yeah, it was a good year. Yeah, It really was. That was the year my mom and I went. And I was just kind of overwhelmed because I had come from this world where nobody liked the Beatles to everybody likes the Beatles. And everyone knows just as much as I do. And there's stuff to buy and there was videos showing. It was really overwhelming, but it was really a good feeling. Like I found my people kind of a feeling. Mm -hmm. of course there weren't a lot of people on the internet that were Beatle fans you know that was what about your IRC chat room yeah well that was I didn't start that doing that until a little bit later in the year Mm. Beatlefest was first what did Beatlefest in 1994 look like well there was so much stuff to buy that they had two different rooms full a Beatles merchandise like old stuff new stuff and they had the, a flow out room that was like on the side note and to self so, be born 20 it, years earlier it was so crowded like the main ballroom we couldn't find a place to sit we'd have to kind of stand in the back and then look and see if somebody moved and take whatever seat was available and people would camp out in that main ballroom for the concert at night which i thought was really stupid because they were missing out on all the other good stuff Uh i still think that's silly to just stay in one place but that's that's the awesome thing about beetle fest is that like there are so many things to do i i had to this will kind of prove how nerdy i am uh last year i didn't even just have the uh schedule that they gave out i printed out my own schedule specifically with the things that i really wanted to go to carried it with me everywhere and like i was running all over the place like okay i gotta go to the what's it called paperback writer discussion room for for mark lewison's 130 panel and mark i know you are listening i've had confirmation oh i love mark he's so sweet i'm i'm still trying to get him on the show well, good luck. I'll, I'm rooting for you. I've got a whole team. <laughs> Anyways, what was I talking about? Oh, Beetlefest. Going to Beetlefest. Yes. I, uh, you know, I'll I'll use this opportunity uh, to thank you, but not just you, but also all the other Beetlefest people I met. Um, this is gonna get a little sad. Uh, my dad had passed away uh, about a year earlier and I had been through you know a lot of shit and you know that that weekend in Chicago was the first time I had genuinely felt happy in about a year well I think I shared with you I could relate to that my significant other had passed away in February 2019 Mm -hmm. and I really I mean, I wanted to go to Beetlefest, but it was like, okay, I'm going to go. But yeah, it, it cheered me up too. It was like probably the first time I'd been happy in a while too. But it's going to Beetlefest for the first time felt like stepping into some sort of alternate dimension where like everyone on earth is as big of a Beatles fan as you. And Actually, it, at my first Beetlefest, that was when I decided I was going to be a Beatles author. Because I was listening to Wally interview some author, and I don't know who it was. And he was talking, and I said, I know all that. I know just as much as that guy does. I could write a Beatles book. And I made a decision that there was someday I was going to write a Beatles book and be up there, and Wally was going to interview me. And then it happened, and I was, like, it was surreal. Wally, making dreams come true since 1976. I know. It was just... 
and sorry to whoever that author was that he was interviewing that I thought I was better than, but I was only 17. What did I know? Clearly not a lot because you ended up writing a Beatles book. Right. It only took me 20 something years to get around to it, but... I mean, you've still written one more Beatles book than I have. Yeah, but you still have time. I, I do. And you have a Beatles podcast and I don't have that going for me. True. That is, that's a fair point. It's not like this is a particularly good podcast either, so... Hills and Valleys. You have good people on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good people on. The host's kind of an idiot, but, you know, that's the charm. <laughs> oh. Um, Do you have any other memories besides Beetlefest? of being a Beatles fan or any other specific memories from like Beatle fests of years past well I remember that I met Ringo Starr I saw that on your website yeah that was probably the highlight of my life that and when Paul McCartney read my sign those are probably the two highlights of my life Paul McCartney read my sign too but I don't think he actually read it because I think I made the mistake of writing too small. Oh. So how did he read it if he didn't read it? Well, I saw him. I think he looked at it. Oh, okay. I was also wearing, like, the blue Sergeant Pepper suit, so it could have been that. He loves it when people wear that. Yeah. And he, he gave me kind of, like, uh, he was fist pumping the air, looking at me, and I still haven't lived that down. I know, it's... Seriously, it's like the most exciting thing. A beetle has acknowledged my existence. I repeat, a beetle has acknowledged my existence. Paul looked me right in the eye. My sign said, Paul, read my sign. And he looked at me, he reads, goes, Paul, read my sign. Looks me right in the eye and goes, well, I read it. <laughs> and I was just, and I'm yelling, thank you. And it just said, Paul, read my sign. Yes. That is such a power move. It was. Interrupting a Paul McCartney concert, kind of. Or making Paul McCartney look at your sign, which had the explicit purpose of making him look at your sign. Yes, because that's I wanted him to read my sign. That was my goal for that concert, and it, it worked. <laughs> oh my. I don't know what else to say. It worked. I mean, I bet it did. It did. Memphis, 2013. Paul McCartney read my side because it said, Paul, read my side. I mean, I'm not sure if he actually looked at me or he looked in my general direction. I oh, he looked right at me. I mean, as far as I know, he looked dead, looked me dead in the eyes. Yeah, he does that. I'm not. If you're close. He looks right at you. I mean, but I wasn't close though. I was up in the, not quite the nosebleeds. No, it wasn't the nosebleeds. It was actually. It was. It was close enough. But if he can see you, he's looking in your. He's looking at you. Yeah, although I don't know how good his eyesight is that he'd be able to tell I was wearing a Sergeant Pepper suit. Hmm. Well, he'd recognize the color, at least. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's the color of me Sergeant Pepper suit. I know, he loves people when they wear Sergeant Pepper suits. Apologies to anyone from Liverpool, including Jackie Spencer and uh, David Bedford, for trying to do a Liverpool accent. Yeah, you, you shouldn't do Liverpool accents in front of them. I know, I, I made the mistake of starting to do one during my interview with Jackie, and then immediately yeah. stopping because I had realized what I had done. Yeah, because, you know, I do it all the time, but I try not to in front of, like, actual British people. Yeah. Because I don't want to hear their lame American attempt. Yeah. <laughs> but it was just, after about one point, or after about three milliseconds, I realized, you should probably shut up now, Ethan. All right, another fun Beetlefest memory was Thank when you for I getting it back on track. Because I, I, it just hit me. It was when I did a live version of my website, Meet the Beatles for Real, at Beetlefest. And so people came with their pictures of them when they met 
one of the Beatles in person and when we sat in a circle and went around and everyone shared their little story of when they met one of the Beatles and it was really cool. What was the coolest one you remember from that panel? Oh gosh, there was, all of them were awesome. Um, there was a girl who was staying at the same hotel as the Beatles in Seattle, you know, where they were doing the fishing off of the balcony of that hotel. She was at that hotel <laughs> and her mom like knocked on the door and Ringo or somebody or George, one of them answered and, and she got their autograph. I thought that was pretty, pretty cool. Wow. How'd she, how'd she knock on the hotel room door? Her mom just walked down there and did it. I thought they would have had security. Oh, you would think, but I don't know. I mean, 1964 was a different time. It was. Or or 1965 or 1966, one of the three. 64 was when they were doing the, the, off the balcony, (laughs) the fishing. I don't know, I just thought that was, that was like, wow, that's like living the dream. I haven't seen that in a while. Were they actually using proper fishing rods? Yes, I believe so. I don't know anything about fishing. I feel bad for whoever was down there then. It's like, oh. Well, supposedly this is what they do at this hotel. The Beatles aren't the only ones that do it. It's like a thing. Were they fishing into the ocean or fishing into the crowd? Yeah, into the ocean. Okay, okay, that makes a lot more sense. They're literally fishing. Like, this is something that you do if you go to this hotel. I thought they were stand like those hotels where they had the balconies over like the front of the crowd and they were fishing into the crowd. That's what I thought. For a no, they were fishing into the ocean, which was right there, and I don't think there was anybody down there. Wow. I mean, probably someone trying to get down there. I just realized how stupid my thought sounded. That's all right. Sometimes they need to come out of my mouth before I realize how dumb I sound. Another one of the good stories was, I don't know if you've ever met Mike from Beetlefest. I don't know his last name, but hi, Mike. He lives in Chicago. He's a security guard. Oh, Mike. Mike. When Paul McCartney came one, like in recent time, you know, he was working as a security guard at the concert and he wasn't supposed to talk to him, but he broke protocol and stepped out and shook hands with Paul and said, welcome to Chicago. Did he lose his job? No, I think his boss understood. Like, he's never done that before for any celebrity or anything and knew, knew that Mike's a big Beatles fan. Mm-hmm. Well, but he was like, he had to do it. Rules are sometimes only just suggestions. You know, if I had the opportunity to shake a Beatle hand, I would shake the Beatle hand. Well, that's what he said. He was like, this was his one once-in-a-lifetime chance to actually do it. And he gets, like, he kept the set list and he made a copy for me and... And this was only a couple years ago. Yeah, this wasn't that long ago. Oh, man. I wish... You gotta meet Mike. I'll have to introduce you sometime. What was it like meeting Ringo? Because I I read the thing, but I want to hear, like, in your own words. Ringo was so sweet. Like, he was so nice. He um, initiated a hug between my mom and I. My mom's a huge Ringo fan since 1964 she's like Ringo's been her favorite but we had been told that he was a big germaphobe and not to extend your hand for a handshake or anything and he initiated a hug with both of us which was really sweet and my mom you know said how she'd been a big fan of his since 1964 and when she saw him on Ed Sullivan and he said something about how I won't do a Ringo imitation but how um she's too young or something to have ever seen that that was kind of funny and I gave him a copy of my book and he accepted it, which I was told he usually doesn't take people's books and he flipped through it and he goes, oh, there's me and the lads. There's my old drum kit. And he took the book with him. So that was, that was like a thrill for me. And he just, I mean, it was only like a few minutes meeting, but he posed for the pictures for us and just kind of chatted a little bit and then off he went. It said something on your site that he threw it into a garbage can. Okay. He, that sounds no he tossed it at while we were getting the pictures there was a garbage can that was full of clean towels like and he put it on top of the garbage can like on top of the towels but then he grabbed it on his way out 
public apology to Sarah Schmidt. I am illiterate. <laughs> no, people message me and they're like, why didn't he throw your book away right in front of you? That's so rude. He threw it in a garbage can right in front of you. How rude does Ringo? I was like, no, we were getting our pictures taken and he wanted to put his arm around both of us. So he put it in this garbage can that had clean towels on it. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. Right. Although, hearing some interactions with Ringo, um, it would have been on brand either way. Well, I know, and I wasn't sure what to expect from him, but, I mean, he was in a very good mood the day I met him. I mean, very good. He was just laughing and smiling and just seemed really chipper. And it was an awesome concert, too, afterwards. Like, he was on his A-game. When did you meet him? September 17th, 2018? September 17th. That sounds right. 2018. I saw him two days later. Oh. I'm just looking at the poster. I saw him on September 19th. Well, did he mention me? He he did. He stopped the show during Yellow Submarine... And he told he talked to us for about six minutes. Yeah, he was exclusively probably like, that about runs that, you. She runs, she runs that site, Meet the Beatles for Real. Yeah. I met her. I think Al Sussman was actually at the same show as I. Where was that show? Uh, it was in Pittsburgh. Oh, okay. You know, I was saw him in St. Louis. First, and I wasn't sure first and only time him. I've been to Pittsburgh. I've been to Pittsburgh once. It was a long time ago. It wasn't for a Beatles thing. But I wasn't sure if I was going to get to meet Ringo until like the very, very, very last second. So it was kind of nerve wracking the whole time. And you met him because you had bought some of his artwork, correct? Right. There was the, well, on certain cities, if you buy his artwork, which is a donation to the Lotus Foundation, you get a meet and greet with Ringo and you get an autographed piece of art mm-hmm. for paying your price. But St. Louis wasn't one of those cities. So it was up to him if he wanted to meet us or not. And we wouldn't know until the last, like when he says yes or no, mm-hmm. because he didn't have to meet anybody. He doesn't have to do anything. He's a beetle. No, he doesn't have to do anything. He doesn't even have to go on tour, but no, he doesn't even have to leave his house. No, he, he doesn't have to do anything, but I'm glad that he did. Yeah. But he did, you know, have on his schedule that he was doing these certain art shows where he was going to meet and greet people. Every time I, I bring up Ringo to one of my friends, he always inevitably brings up his artwork, um, especially his MS Paint career, which is particularly yeah. prolific. Some of his art isn't that great, but... Some of it is really good. I like the piece that I bought was the um, the guns that are in knots. Oh. With the peace signs. Okay, I think I know what you're talking no. about. Right. He did that you know, against gun violence for John. <laughs> and I, I really like it. I think it's colorful and it has a message behind it. Ringo signed it. Of course, it's hanging at my mom's house right now, but it's still half mine. All right, since you're a Beatles author, I'm, I'm assuming you know a lot of Beatles trivia. I have won the Beatles trivia contest at Beatlefest one year, but then I retired after that. But I did win. You retired after one year. Yes. That, I thought it was other. You can be undefeated that way. I am undefeated, but yeah. no, I got second place one year, and then I won the next year, and then I thought, what's other people's turn? And then that kind of opens it up so I can do other things during Beetlefest. I almost lost because I was intimidated by Wally. Yeah, if you haven't met Wally before, I could see that. Yeah. But once you get to know Wally, you know he's not intimidating at all. I know. He's he's a nice guy. I will yeah, but- have him on the podcast at some point. I still need to send him an email to reschedule. I had him yeah. scheduled, but I had to pull out at the last minute. Because I had woken, I had woken up with the like most sore throat I had ever had. Yeah, it, yeah. You'll talk to Wally though. He's a good guy. I will. I mean, I'm not best friends with him, but from what I know of him, he's a good guy. <laughs> what is your favorite weird piece of Beatles trivia? Weird piece of Beatles trivia. 
Gosh, I don't know. That's a good question. Probably one of the ones that always makes me laugh, but I guess it's now it's more common than it used to be, is that how George saw Yoko stealing the biscuits during the <laughs> Abbey Road. It still makes me laugh. <laughs> the Abbey Road recording. <laughs> when I when I read Jeff Emmerich's book, I I laughed so hard. <laughs> I know, but like that's something I've known about for years and years. I'm like, now it's more common mm-hmm. Beatles trivia, but it still cracks me up to this day. Like, what was Yoko stealing <laughs> that belonged to George? I wish I had been a fly on the wall that day, because somehow no. in that interaction, a Leslie speaker got broken. Now, right. I, I don't know if you're a musician yeah. or are familiar with the Leslie speaker, no, but I knew a speaker got broken. That sounds bad. Those things are sturdy. Like oh. a Leslie speaker. Like solid wood. Well, not solid. It's hollow. But, you know, it's hard to break one of those. I don't... Well, you know, I would add if somebody was stealing my biscuits, too. Was it George or was it Yoko that broke the speaker? I don't know. See, again, this is why I would have liked to have been a fly on the wall. I know. I don't know if anyone knows exactly what happened. The only thing, the only person I think I, or I would probably know is Jeff Emmerich. And unfortunately, he's passed away. Right. He's passed away, yet somehow he's still in court. Hmm. My other favorite probably is that Lizzie Bravo and Gaylene Pease sang background on across the universe on February 6th, 1968. Mm-hmm. I I knew Apple Scruffs had sang, sang on the song, but I didn't know their name, so thank you. Well, they're not Apple Scruffs. Well, let's see. I, I, did I ever mention I wrote about the Apple Scruffs, too, for the book A is for Apple? Yeah, they were Apple Scruffs, but I'm friends with Lizzie, which blows, which blows my mind because she used to just be the name of a trivia question that I knew. You, you like, learn something new every day. I thought they were just apple scruffs. Apple scruffs didn't start until October 1969. These girls were regulars. They were called the regulars. <laughs> now, are these the same kind of regulars who, like, you know, if George is pulling up to Abbey Road, he would just toss them the keys and they'd park his car? <laughs> I don't think they ever parked his car, but they would walk Martha sometimes. Okay. But they're not to be confused with the baddies, because the baddies broke into Paul's house and went through the bathroom window. That sounds familiar. I wonder where from. Probably a song on Abbey Road. Yeah, that album that no one remembers. You know. Right. Right. <laughs> it's on the B side. Yeah, the B side doesn't even matter, you know? It's it's just one big song. Who actually has the time to listen to that? Uh, well, I listen to it almost every day, but that's that's just me. No, I know. I, I, I love the medley. But those were the baddies that went in through the bathroom window. And they did more than just once. What is the main... What's the difference between the baddies and the apple scruffs? The baddies hated, hated, hated Linda and would make... Linda's life miserable, therefore making Paul's life miserable. The Apple Scruffs stayed away from Paul's house for the most part and did more around the Apple building and EMI and were more helpful towards the Beatles and kind mm-hmm. and did nice things. I'm receiving a Beatles history lesson right now from Sarah Schmidt. Well, if you get me talking about things have to do with the Beatles fans, that's like my specialty area. What do you know about the Beatles Canadian fan club? I want to get you talking about the fans now. I know that it was started by a girl named Judy Fine in 1963. It's the third Beatles fan club in the world. I love that fact. Outside of England, it was the first. Yeah, that's right. Love it. And... Don wrote her a letter saying, make us famous. Really? Or an autograph. He signed something for her that said, said like, make us famous. Like, I'm sending you this in Canada. You're starting our fan club, so make us famous. 
And she did. She did. It was her. It was it was Judy. It was Judy. Or Jody. Now I forget which one it is. But I know her last name was Fine. F-I-N-E. Mrs. Fine, thank you for breaking the Beatles in Canada. Yeah. This is this is always a hard question for people. What is your favorite Beatles song? Oh, that's not hard. In my life. Wow. Okay, that's the quickest I've ever had someone answer that question. I think about these things. Usually they just kind of waffle and it's like, oh, I don't know. You know, it's hard. And I usually end up having to say, okay, pick your five. Oh. No, In My Life is the best song. Okay, well. It always been. In My Life is a great song. When I hear that song, I always think of the start of that anthology where it's just that kind yeah. of montage thing. Yeah, that was a good choice for them to start off the anthology for sure. Would have been better if it was the full, you know, 14 minute version of Carnival of Light. Mm, I don't think so. I, I think if we heard that, we'd be a little disappointed with it. So I've heard from Mark Lewis. And <laughs> Maybe that's why that's who I've heard it from, too. I don't know. I actually got him to sign a copy of my uh, Beatles recording sessions book. And I. I think there when you had him sign? I, I specifically flipped to the page with Carnival of Light and I said to him, sign anything, write whatever you want. I just want a personalized footnote on the Carnival of Light page. And he wrote something like, Carnival of Light, will we ever hear it? I hope so, but maybe then no one will care about it. Yeah. That's what I've heard, that it's not, for people that have actually heard it, that it's nothing exciting. It's a somehow less interesting version of Revolution 9. Right, and that doesn't sound very good to me. Speaking of Revolution 9, what's your least favorite Beatles song? Well, can Revolution 9 be called a song? No. That's where I go. I don't think it is. It's my... it's more of like an audio montage piece of... Okay, so this is my usual go-to for my least favorite, but it's starting to grow on me. It's Old Brown Shoe. What? How? How is Old Brown Shoe your least favorite? I just don't like it. I don't like the words. Like, really? You're stepping out your old brown shoe because you're in love with me? Yeah, that, yeah. put on some new shoes, mister. <laughs> I mean, how is that supposed to be, like, a love song? Like, how is that supposed to be, like, nice? But that slide guitar. And the bass and everything is really good. I know. But the lyrics are just so weak. You know what? As disappointed as I am right now, I'm still glad you didn't say Mr. Moonlight. <sighs> Mr. Yeah, Mr. Moonlight's okay. Thank you. My mom doesn't like it. That's That would be her least favorite. You know, some people are just wrong. But you know why it's her least favorite? Why? Because there was one time at Beetlefest where that song haunted us. Like, we went into a dealer's room. It's playing. We go hear Battle of the Bands. Like, three bands play it. We watch a Beatles cartoon. It was Mr. Moonlight. Like, everywhere we went that year, Mr. Moonlight was playing. And that's why she doesn't like it. She got burnt out on it on that one year. Of all the songs to be haunted by at a Beetlefest, I would not <laughs> expect Mr. Moonlight to be that song. No. But it was, it was like everywhere we went. Mr. Moonlight. Just like, oh my gosh, not again. <laughs> uh, every time I hear anyone mention the Beetlefest dealer's room, my mouth starts watering. And you haven't even been to one where it was like a real big deal. Well, I was there last year and it was, no matter how big it was at one point, for anyone who had not been there before, it was still just mind-blowing. You know, I hear people who've been in the past, and they're like, oh, it's so bad now, there's barely anybody in there. I'm like, you know what? I'm still spending my money there, though. I still go home with Beatles stuff and less money than I came with, so yeah, there must be something there because I'm still finding stuff worthwhile. I mean, I may have spent almost all my money at the Rockaway Records booth. Exactly, yeah, they, they get a lot of my money every year. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's... 
I had never seen that many butcher covers in the same room at the same time. Oh, I know. And there were like 25 of them. I know, it's just a marvel to be seen, isn't it? Yeah, but then I also looked at the price tags and they snapped me back into reality. Me too! Yeah. Oh, wow, seven grand! <laughs> and but still, it's kind of cool just to see all that stuff. Yeah. Or like to go to Jeff Ossenberger's room and see all of his memorabilia. Oh, God. It, it's not a fail, but it's still like... Oh. The dealer's room is like a museum in and of itself. Yes, it is. Oh, now I'm just, uh, I can't wait for the next Beetle Fest so I can come back with more money. See, that's the downside of being a Beatles author is that you don't get to do all that other stuff. Well, I mean, I have not been a Beatles author at Beetle Fest, so I will take your word. It's a bummer because you're like stuck at your table. Mm -hmm. And then when nobody's buying your book... You're thinking, you're looking at the program, you're like, I could be hearing Mark Lewison talk right now. But no, I'm sitting here not selling my book. Yeah. Don't worry. Next time at the Beetle Fest, I will come to your table. Well, I appreciate when people come yeah. to my table. But the past couple of years, I haven't even had a table. I just gave presentations and still got to do what I wanted to do. <laughs> I like was living both best of both worlds. That may be a better alternative. <laughs> Yeah, it was. So, what is your favorite Beatles album? Well, since In My Life's my favorite Beatles song, Rubber Soul's my favorite Beatles album. What are your top three? Beatles albums? Yes. Definitely Rubber Soul's number one. I love Rubber Soul. Okay. Notice how you didn't say a revolver, so I will have to dock some points. Well, number two would have to be Revolver, because they go together. Mm Mm-hmm. And three, probably Sgt. Pepper. Okay. Those are some fair choices. But Abbey Road has to be up there, too. Okay, so... we. Oh, like, any wrong answer? What? There's no wrong answer to those, that question. I mean... Th- and if I said, please, please me, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that's a really good album. I mean, it doesn't matter well, what you say. That's because no one says, please, please me. Well, somebody should. It's a good album. It's... Weirdly enough, it's one of my least favorites. They recorded it in one day. It's classic. Okay, that just reminds me of that quote from the Ruddles. It's like, that their first album took an hour to record. The next one took even longer. <laughs> I could have a podcast where I just quote lines from the Ruddles. You should have Ruddle. See, I always wanted to have Ruddle Fest, but not everybody was on board with that. You can have a Ruddles podcast. I, I I will probably do that on April Fools at some point. Have someone on, and then we just talk about the Ruddles for an hour without mentioning the Beatles once. I could talk about the Ruddles for an hour, definitely. There we go. Scheduled April first. <laughs> I, I love the Ruddles. It's it's one of my favorite movies of all time. And the soundtrack is so good. I hate to tell you this, but I will tell you this. In 1997, three of the Ruddles were at Beetlefest, and they did this press conference in character as the Ruddles, and I think it was the funniest thing I've ever experienced in my life. Sarah, you're making me jealous. It was the funniest thing I've ever experienced in my life. I, it was, it was awesome. So that would have been Nasty, Barry, and Stig, probably. Yes, Stig didn't say a word during the whole thing. Well, no, because he had been replaced since 1966 with a wax figure from Madame Tussauds because he died in a waterbed shop. Of course. Yeah, I remember all these things. Right. You know your Ruddles trivia. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> so I got their autograph. I was watching that clip from the Ruddles earlier today. Uh, Shea Stadium, named after the Cuban guerrilla leader, Shea Stadium. Oh, that's so good. That, I think, may be my favorite movie line in history. Have you watched the movie all the way to the end and see Eric Idle fall into, like, a little pond? No, but I know what I'm doing after this episode. But I had this roommate, and I would watch the Ruddles movie. She would want to wait until after all the credits and see him fall into this pond. Like, she thought that was the funniest thing on earth. And she'd rewind it and watch it again. But do you know what's even better than, I think, the first Ruddles album? Because you could think that 
like lightning only strikes the same place once. I probably yeah. got that quote wrong, but that's okay. Irrelevant. Uh, the second one, what's it called? Archaeology. Oh yeah, with Shangri La on it. That one is fantastic. Yeah, that one's really good. That song "Questionnaire," I love. Yeah. And then they have. I like. They have that. We have arrived, and to prove it, we're here. Love that. I could say that about any song on that album, so I'm just gonna stop. Do you? I like Shangri-La though. That one's fun. That one is fun. Do you have a least yeah, favorite Beatles album? Oh wait, what were you gonna say? I cut you off there. Oh, they used to at Beetlefest at midnight, like on Friday nights, show the Ruddles movie. That's where I first saw it. Really? And I remember I was sitting on the floor because there was nowhere to sit. It was like in one of those side rooms, like a side room. And I remember I was sitting on the floor because there was no seats because it was so crowded. Everybody was there at midnight to see the Ruddles movie. If they don't do that, they should do it again. They should. That, why aren't they not doing that? Well, I think I might be... Singing along, and I'd never seen it before, <laughs> and it was like, "What is this? This is awesomely funny." The actually, I think that might be the strangest memory I have of Beetlefest, of it being. I think it was twelve thirty in the morning, and normally I'd be in bed asleep, but instead I was in a discussion room, like after a panel, talking with Mark Lewison, and yeah. it's like, "Wow, how did this happen?" That's great. That's a great memory. Yeah. And it was 1230. Yeah. Crazy stuff happens. The only mistake I made was not taking an instrument. So I, I tried to participate in those jam sessions. And yeah. I ended up having to, you know, kind of borrow someone's set of drums to take uh, over. But I, I yeah. should have brought one of my guitars or something. Yeah, sometimes I bring a tambourine, but I'm not a instrument person. I just sing. I'm a singer. Yeah. I mean, I'm an instrument guy, but I'm not a good instrument guy. So, do you have a least favorite Beatles album? Least, you're going to hate me if I tell you. Uh, it's impossible for me to hate you. Okay. The White Album. You know what? I don't actually mind that answer. Oh, good. Not that I don't like the White Album, because any Beatles is good Beatles. Mm -hmm. But there's more songs on the White Album that I'm just like, eh, take it or leave it. They, it's When I'm listening to the White Album, it's almost impossible for me to listen to it the entire way through. There are usually points where it's like, I want to pick up the needle and just skip to another track. Right. Mm -hmm. There are some, like, but it's better than... A not Beatles album. I mean, depends which not Beatles album we're talking about here. But then there's some really, really great songs on the White Album. There are, but there's also songs like Honey Pie. You know, this reminds me of something I'm trying to research and nobody knows. When did they start calling it the White Album? Like, when did it universally become known as the White Album? That's a question for everyone listening, if you, if you can figure it out for me. You know what? Actually, yeah. If you have an answer to that question, please email me at fansontherun at gmail.com. I actually want to hear the answer to this. And I'll pass it along to you, Sarah. Yes, I've been... Because I've looked at old advertisements and things, and they always refer to it either as the new Beatles album, mm -hmm. which in 1968, that would be appropriate, or the Beatles double album. And I can't find where the switch to calling it the white album happened what's the earliest you found it being called the white album so far like in the 70s but i think it has to be before that because i've talked to fans that said oh yeah we always called it the white album like a couple years after it was released <laughs> but in print it was like 75 or 76 and that just seems too late oh don't you think that seems too late yeah hold on one second i just I'll edit that out. My phone just went off for some reason. Okay. Don't people know I am in, I'm recording an important Beatles podcast? They should know. Yeah. It'll be in the history books one day. It will. Yeah. 
Although the book would probably be the Guinness Book of Idiots or whatever. <laughs> so, the White Album. You don't like the yes. White Album. I don't not like the White Album. It's just... Okay, now I'm curious. What's your favorite song on the White Album? That's a good question, because there's quite a few good ones. Probably Happiness is a Warm Guy. That is a good one. That's a very good one. I would have also accepted Piggies as an answer. That one, eh, take it or leave it. I like it because it's just weird. It is weird. It's weird, but it's enjoyable. Unlike some other Beatles songs where it's just weird and unenjoyable. Has anyone actually listened to Revolution 9 for enjoyment? I listened to it just because I wanted one time to listen to it all the way through, but that wasn't for enjoyment. I'll probably be uh, crucified in the comments for saying this. I don't think I've actually listened to it the in one sitting the whole thing yeah i made myself do it like twice now why do you hate yourself (laughs) i just felt like as a beatles fan i needed to do that you know what i I should probably do it and then i'll give a minute by minute like minute one i've made it through 56 (laughs) seconds so far Now, I had a friend years and years and years ago that used to wake up to Revolution Number 9. That was like his alarm clock. I have no words. I know, that was, I thought that was really weird. Is this person still alive? I don't know, I'm no longer friends with this person. Probably the reason why. I know. Who wakes up to Revolution 9? Sociopath? (laughs) I know, exactly, I was kind of scared. I was like, hmm. Guy seems a little scary. Maybe I should should have checked his should have checked his closets. There's probably people in there. It's like, why is that your alarm clock? That's weird. Sounds like something Charles Manson would have done. I mean, I was waking up to Good Morning, Good Morning. This guy's waking up to Revolution Number Nine. (laughs) Well, at least at the beginning, it's just that nice, gentle piano. Like if he had if he had woken up like quick enough. He would have just heard the piano. But he had the had it so it just kept going. So he'd hear a little bit more the next day and a little bit more the next day. Oh, oh no. Wow. I I actually don't know how to respond to that. Yeah. Revolution 9 as an alarm clock. I don't recommend it, but I'm just... You asked if I knew anybody that ever, like, listened to it for enjoyment. I would have to put that guy in that category. Wow. I think how long it is. I mean, he probably was listening to that for years. (laughs) It's like eight and a half minutes long or something. Right, and if you were just had it going off as a little alarm clock for a few seconds and you turned it off... Years. (sighs) I would thought it should be like nine minutes exactly. It should have been like nine minutes and nine seconds. Something. Like if you're going to go for it, go all out. Then I always feel bad for Ringo because I like good night. <laughs> that I think maybe I've talked about power moves. That may be the biggest power move to assert dominance over Ringo. You know, I think it's even, it's even mean to Julian because it was a song for him. Just give give him the song that plays immediately after the LSD Nightmare Fuel. The one that everybody, when they got it, would lift up the needle and be like, well, we're done with this album. Do you know what's something I just learned a while ago? Apparently there was something on, I think it was like the original cassette version or the 8-track version or something. There was a special message from like Ringo saying, like, you can, you can turn this over now. Or something, huh. something like that. Or please switch to tape number two. I've pro- it would have to be the track because I had the cassette and it wasn't on there. Could have been also like the original cassette versions, right? And I'm probably misquoting it. Why, this is probably why the White Album's really weird to me is because I had it originally on cassette and the songs are in a different order. So I originally 
was used to the songs being in a totally different order than what they really are. What was the first song? It was Birthday. What? Or back SSR, depending on which which one I was listening to, one or two. Okay. So that it started the same, but then like Blackbird just gets thrown in there somewhere in the middle, and um, some of like I Will is like anyone that was kind of shorter, they kind of just threw it in there in a weird place. <laughs> So it would fit on the cassette. Was Revolution 9 still at the end? Yeah, that part was like, they tried to keep it in the right order, but it they messed it up. Wow. Uh, actually, I, I, you know what? I don't actually own any, I actually know that's a lie. I have three Beatles cassettes, unfortunately, no four, but none of them are the White Album. So that's my new goal. I remember buying the White Album on cassette because I was on vacation with my parents and I had a Walkman with me and it was like, do I want to buy the CD and not be able to listen to it on this vacation or do I want to buy the cassette and be able to listen to it? That's why I got the cassette. Mm-hmm. I went. I mean, you should have gone with the LP. Well, I wasn't going to listen. And I don't know what my problem was, but I didn't know the White Album existed. Until I went to, like, this record store in Ohio on a vacation. I was like, what is this? When was this? How long had you been a Beatles fan at that point? Like, four years. What? And you didn't know the White Album existed? I had no idea. I mean... How did I miss out on it? I don't know, but... It's hard for me to pass judgment for a a pre-internet world. Right. There was no internet. I didn't know any other Beatles fans. I didn't even know, like, there were Beatle magazines. Mm-hmm. Like, I just had... Well, you know, I had the Blue album. Mm-hmm. I don't know where I thought those songs came from. Could have been just, you know, there were singles. Maybe that's what I thought. I mean, I so I was familiar with a lot of songs from the White Album, but I didn't know that was where they originated from. Because mm-hmm. I had no idea. No one told me. One last question, because this actually no two two more questions. Okay. Um. Do you prefer the British albums or the American albums? Oh, I hate that question. Okay. Full disclosure, I don't know the difference, and people don't like that answer from me. So I didn't. Grow, you don't care. I didn't. Grow, I don't care. I just want to hear Beatles music. You know what? I actually respect that answer. Because I didn't grow up with the British or the American. I grew up half cassette, half CD. Most of the songs weren't in the right order, let alone... Weren't in the right... Right, exactly. Like, so I didn't grow up as a child where... And I didn't buy vinyl because I didn't really have a record player. I think I had... Yeah, I didn't really have a record player. So vinyl was kind of out of the picture unless I just was buying it for the artwork. I only started buying records after hearing about the Paula's Dead rumor and my uncle who was the first guest on this show told me that if you held a a knife up to the Sgt. Pepper cover, it says 111X he die with an arrow pointing at Paul and so it it was my mission to pick up a copy of that album. Well, I'd have, I, I used to decorate my bedroom when I was a teenager with Beatles record albums that I would buy for like a dollar <laughs> at yard sales and stuff, but the, the records themselves were yeah. in terrible shape, but the covers were okay. Now they're probably worth at least two, maybe three dollars. Yeah, I think I was buying them for like 50 cents. Yeah. Dollar, something like that. I watched, but I, was, I watched a clip of an that, old Beatlefest news report and the guy was like, for the rare collectors, here's an original copy of the Beatles' Yesterday and Today album with the rare Beatles' Butcher Meat cover. And guess how much it costs? $200. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Sold. And so part of me, I think, was subconsciously hoping that would happen at the Beatle Fest. <laughs> it's like, oh. I'm still waiting to like go to a flea market or yard sale or something and see yesterday and today and like the person doesn't know what they have (laughs) although the thing that sucks with that is you have to have like good eyes because you have to check for the turtleneck v 
yeah, under the yeah, you gotta look for those turtle yeah and i don't get why but, people nowadays actually peel the covers i don't either i think it's cooler to know that it's underneath their head yeah and plus they're like, much more they're, they're worth much more than the third stage or whatever they're called that, i mean i just think it's a neater collectible to have yeah no matter what it's i've always thought i never understood why there were professional peelers I mean, some of them do great jobs. Like, I know there's some guys out of, I think it's Los Angeles, who that's all they do. And I know, that's their job. They're professional peelers. Mm -hmm. And I I get it if you buy a copy and someone's already tried to peel it a bit, and so the cover's messed up. So you send it off, like, might as well pull the Band-Aid off. Right. That's fine, but... But if you find, like, a good copy that still has the paste over you'd just be an idiot for peeling it off I think so but you know there's a lot of people out there that do it so it's their choice if they're gonna it's their, they bought it they spent that kind of money they can do what they want and now here's my favorite part of the show I get I get to ask you what you want to plug what do you want to plug Sarah well alright I'll plug my new book that's going to be coming out in 2021 awesome dear beatles people the beatles fan club in north america title subject to change if i want to <laughs> and it's about the north american fan clubs yes and i've just finished writing it like i'm done researching i've written everything and now i'm on the hunt for an editor and it's it's things are starting to roll Ooh. i'll have to, i just talk i'll have to, to pick the, up a copy of that when it comes out Yes, you will have to. I will have to. Because I, it's going to come out. I just don't know all the details yet, but mm-hmm. it's really interesting. It's a story that's never been told. Yeah. And plus, this is a podcast about Beatles fans. You're writing a book about Beatles fans. I love Beatles fans. Thank you. Beatles fans are great people. They are. And I'm not just saying that because that's my audience. No, but... It makes me proud to be part of the Beatles fandom. Yeah. Because I think we're a good group of people that we you know, have peace and love and we're kind. And mm-hmm. it disappoints me when I meet somebody who doesn't fit into that. Like, that's kind of rude. Yeah. And like at a Beatle fest, one time I had this guy cut in front of me and he was just really rude and yeah. called me a typical American, which I don't understand what that means. But anyway. Was he also American? I don't know. He sounded American. He might be. He was Canadian. I apologize on behalf of Canadians if he was Canadian. <laughs> I, I don't know. He didn't have like a British accent. Mm. He sounded kind of like he was from New York, which is where this Beatle Fest was. Mm. But he could have just been an asshole. But see, that that was what disappointed me. Like I expected better from Beatle fans. Yeah. I mean, I will say most of the Beatles fans out there are probably good people. Yes, I would say that too. That and then occasionally you get a bad, bad egg like, uh, don't worry, that name will be censored. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I did that in oh. the last episode I uploaded. Okay, yeah, don't like him. Oh, yeah, creep. I had some run-ins with him, yeah. But anyways, enough about him. Sarah, thank yeah. you so much for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me come and chat about the Beatles. It's fun. To everyone else out there, thank you for listening. You can go home now. Dance on the Run is produced by Ethan Alexander. Additional voiceovers by Richard Phillip. This has been a Showtown production.